0: Went down to the Capitol. She loved it. She, we went to the Capitol, the Capitol Visitor Center and took pictures inside with the the replica Statue of Freedom that's on top of the dome. Uh, my wife and I went to Kalata Shop and saw Hamilton on on Saturday. That was, that was awesome. It's a great cool. show at Kennedy Center. You may have heard of it. Uh, Sunday, went to the Montgomery County Agricultural Fair. Saw some animals. Rode the Ferris wheel four-year-old again delighted
1: did you see the goats
0: uh i i did and any patreon supporters rest easy there are pictures of me with goats from montgomery county coming in the near future to to our our supporters on patreon you know and after that called it a night went went to bed early
1: Well, that part's a lie. You don't have to lie to bury the lead.
0: (laughs) And then I watched some soccer and oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, let's just get into it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Burying the Lead podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. Tonight we are talking about DC United's Uh, Epic. I think Epic's a word we can use to describe this one. Three to two win over Orlando City Sunday night at Audi Field. Um, One of the the biggest kind of most stupendous momentous uh, goals, I think. In MLS this year, if not ever, certainly uh, one of the the most spectacular plays in Audi Field's short history at the end of that one. uh, We'll obviously be talking about that. We'll talk about the recently closed MLS secondary transfer window where DC United made a few moves. Uh, You may have heard about that. Uh, In the second segment, we're going to bring on our friend Will Conwell from Stumptown Footy. He's going to help us preview dc united's quick turnaround visit from the portland timbers of mls's western conference before we do anything jason what are you drinking tonight uh
2: after the uh complications and uh mind bendingness of last night uh i kept it extraordinarily simple i have uh Patron anejo barrel select um which i talked about at length on a previous episode and it's still really excellent. I, I'm not going to dilute it with anything. This is uh, mm-hmm. too good for that sort of thing.
0: Ben, you are on record several times over, if memory serves, of recommending 100% agave tequila. Always. even and, and you, in fact, endorse the, the strategy of buying the cheapest 100% agave tequila for mixing.
1: I mean, yes, for mixing, for sure.
0: Yeah, for mixing. That's what I've done tonight. I I have the cheapest 100% agave tequila I could find and I've made a Ricky out of it. I guess you could be silly and call it a Ricardo. It is Kirkland tequila from Costco. A giant effing bottle of it. 100% agave. Says so right on the bottle.
2: Interesting. I've only ever heard that the Kirkland brand liquors of all kinds that they make Every single time I've heard about it, it's always like, I mean, it's not like spectacular, but it's better than you would
0: expect. Yeah, that's that's exactly what this is. It is a completely serviceable mixing liquor.
1: Virginia, with its uh, antiquated ABC laws, uh, no Costco can sell liquor here. And also, I don't have a Costco membership because because it is very far away from me in a place where it would take me hours to get in and out of.
0: I had completely forgotten I had this and was searching around for our club soda because I knew I wanted a Ricky, um, and found a giant bottle of tequila and said, ah, "Okay, when fate hands you tequila, <laughs> you you make a drink." Ben, what are you drinking tonight?
1: So I'm going with uh, some Benchmark Bourbon, which is the younger brother of uh, Buffalo Trace, and just with a little bit of Coke, just something simple, something easy. I was. In uh, Pittsburgh for most of last week. Got back late on Saturday. Didn't have time to go to any stores. So I just went with what I had.
0: All right. Uh, shall we talk about this this game? I don't think we need to bury the I guess, bury, I, bury I guess the we lead. can get into it. I, I still am not totally... Um...
1: It was a bizarre game. There's a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah. I'm not totally but, set for words after I... the ending of it. Can
2: I just note that Be- Ben is using the, I believe the first words out of Ben Olson's mouth in the press conference where it was a bizarre game.
1: Um, <laughs> I did not do got, that intentionally. Yeah, that was just ben, the uh, synchronicity. That of, yeah. No, that, that was just <laughs> the synchronicity of Ben's.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I guess to go one step further, his reaction was a lot like ours um, and a lot like everyone in the fan base. Um, He walked in with normally he walks in and it's kind of the same body language, regardless of the result, unless he's upset. But um, for this one, his he had the same wide eyed look that the rest of us had Um, (laughs) and and people walking you to get from the press box to the interview room. You have to walk through the crowd exiting the stadium and you get a chance to look around and look at people in the eyes as they're walking out and you see the same look on their face as uh, everyone else. It was it was that kind of night
0: yeah it was it was spectacular uh we witnessed history essentially a a play a game ending it's already down in the annals of of dc united and mls history i mean when national podcasts are opening our naming episodes was this the best play in mls history you know that people are paying attention this play went so viral I'll, i'll I guess I should talk about what exactly happened. Um, we'll hey, get don't to that. Do that just... thing I
1: hate about all podcasts is when they describe something before actually saying what it was.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're way past that point, Ben. You should have given me that note, like during the intro. Uh,
1: I, any... the thing,
0: <laughs> uh, DC United beat Orlando city three to two at Audi field Sunday night. Uh, just about the most dramatic, ending you could possibly have uh lucho acosta completing a hat trick uh after wayne rooney sprints 70 yards uh to to tackle will johnson who had an open net in front of him because david was up for a corner late in the game uh deep into stoppage time Uh, rooney gets the ball brings it back in united's half sends a, a just a perfect cross. Um, there's no other word to describe it. It was perfect. And Lucho Acosta puts it in, back across goal with his head. Uh, shortest guy on the field, tallest guy in our hearts. Uh wins the game right there. Um it was it was it was wild. Uh all all anybody around the world, I would say rightly talking about, is Rooney, not not Lucho's hat hat trick that's kind of almost a secondary thing the result is almost a secondary thing to this play although i i would say that the the result is a big part of why this is such a big deal because this was a season saving play by wayne rooney um, I, I before we get into specifics let's let's keep on the the broad Side of this, Jason, you watched it from the press box. There's no cheering in the press box. What what was the experience in there?
1: Was there cheering uh, in the press box?
2: No, um, I think that there was a collective like intake of breath of just people that were stunned and but had to keep it together. Um, you know that the team employees can be tempted to um, themselves cheer, but they try and set a good example by not cheering. Um, but everyone collectively it was like and then had to you know immediately i guess what you hear next is just the clacking of um laptop keyboards um but everyone uh,
0: tweets about it
2: right um but yeah uh people were blown away i mean it was an unbelievable moment i mean just the the tackle by itself in and of itself was an unbelievable moment um but then to follow up and um you know, it was weird as is, is the and I heard this from a couple of other people um, that have been watching too much soccer for a long time. And, and I had the same feeling was as soon as he as soon as Rooney won the ball and then took his first touch as a positive touch and started looking upfield and it was clear where he was looking. Um, you started to sense that there was going to be at least a chance. Um, Chris, Chris it, Schumer thought that, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That that a uh, great photo of Chris Schuler putting his head, his uh, hands on his head as Rooney's striking the ball. Um, maybe he had, cause he's kind of at the right angle to have a, a very similar view of uh, what's going on. And he is completely helpless on the sideline. Um, and actually maybe shouldn't have been helpless if you think about it, because Orlando could have brought him into the game uh, as a sub and um improve their chances uh their their sub choices end up being kind of curious in my opinion but that's their business um, but yeah uh the as soon as he had his head up I, I you know i felt like there was gonna be there was gonna be a scoring chance i'm not saying i thought there was going to be a goal um, but no one from orlando was in a position to do anything about it um to close him down and you know that if you give rooney that many targets and that much space that he can strike a ball pretty well. We, we know that, you know, no matter what questions you had about him before he arrived, that was something that everyone agreed upon that um, he was capable of putting a ball in like this. Um, but for it to happen in that moment in, in a game that was that dramatic and strange and full of um, VAR challenges and all this other stuff, um, it, you know, if it, if it reminded me of anything, it reminded me of, um Megan Rapinoe's cross to Abby Wambach um mm-hmm. and i mean how many plays can you ever talk about that remind you of that one uh mm-hmm. it was it was incredible what else can you say
0: it, it, we've mentioned it was a season saving uh turn of events which is i think if you understand the situation united was in tied two to two with Orlando city at home at this point in the year, you'd understand why David Osted was all the way up for this corner. Um, United at that moment, Jason, I think you, you spelled this out in a tweet. They were 11 points out of a playoff spot yeah. at that point with just over a dozen games to go. I think 14 and, games to go in the and season then, and you're not making that up.
2: No, and the corner the corner is coming in with like 50 seconds left on the clock. You've got to assume most corners end up with either the ball getting knotted away but out of bounds or with someone getting a shot, maybe not a good shot, but some kind of headed shot on goal. But usually, in any case, if you've got 50 seconds left and you know you need a goal, um, what else are you going to? You don't have any other cards to play. Um, right, and
0: United did need a goal there. A draw was yeah. as good as a loss uh, for United's purposes,
2: as well as you know the standings dictated it, but also the emotions of it. Um, you know, both Olson and the players after the game were very. They, I don't think they wanted to be so open about it, but they were kind of open about it that they knew that they had to win this game. Um, given the rest of the schedule, I. I Tweeted out earlier, the next six games for DC uh, are all against playoff teams. They're all fairly tough in their own way, whether it's short rest or um, the two most difficult road games in the entire league, uh, based on record, are coming up. Um, and, and, you know, for all those reasons, this was one they couldn't let get away. Uh, Orlando is bad. Uh, they were not even at full strength, a full strength version of themselves. Um, and it's, it's at home. You can't possibly drop points in that situation and expect to make up such a large gap. And, uh, they had to find something. I mean, there's not a, I mean, you know, it's not like they had a better option, uh, that they were like, no, 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 we'll send Osted up because that's the best plan. It was just, well, what else are we going to do?
0: Um, are we going to send a bench player in and just try and sneak him onto the field? Um, <laughs> Which, when we mentioned Chris Schuler being helpless on the sideline, I, I just remember the, the old grainy uh, college football play where a, a guy on the sideline tackles a, a guy with the ball to prevent him from you know, r- scampering downfield for a, a touchdown. And I'm just thinking Chris Shuler could have jumped in and tackled Wayne Rooney, taking the red card and the you know long suspension it would entail. But Orlando wouldn't have lost the game. <laughs>
2: right um yeah i i i guess in the end you know the funny thing is that osted actually played a small part in how the whole place shook out too it wasn't he didn't just go up there and not do anything um mm-hmm. he almost in the got press on box, it right in, in the press box um there was a little bit of a snafu with one of the the tvs that we looked to for replays um So I, none of us had a a good look at it until after the game was over and we were seeing it on um, YouTube and and Twitter videos. But um, from the press box, it was like, did Osted head that or did Kofi Opari head that? Um, And Osted didn't win the header, but his presence there definitely kept anyone else from getting to Opari. And he ended up having a header that was cleared off the line. Like he almost was the hero in all of this. Um, Wouldn't have been quite uh, so remarkable. It wouldn't have been a story worldwide but um it would have been i mean for as far as dc united is concerned it would have been a 3-2 victory
1: with a last second goal anyway um but well, yeah. i think all, i think uh osted's presence also made made wayne rooney not be in the box and made him uh be up top a little bit and gave him the positioning to sprint down and cut off will johnson and start everything from there
2: yeah, I mean, I mean the play, the the play as it was. Even if Osted hadn't gotten involved on the header, if he had just been up there and not gotten near the ball, um, the whole trickle down of that next twelve seconds, that domino effect, is that um, Rooney ends up not getting to the box because Osted goes past him, and he's like, because he even after the game said he didn't agree with the choice to send Osted forward, which he's the one person I'm willing to hear uh, dissent on, um, on that topic. Everyone else, you're wrong um Osted should have been in the box but if Wayne Rooney wants to um tell me otherwise then I'll I'll hear him out um but yeah uh the you know the whole thing from there it all happens uh as one step from another and and you know it's almost Acosta having to make that run but apparently Rooney was like no you you go I'll 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 stay off and and chase him down if I have to um and we end up with the best player on the team to have to strike that ball ends up on the ball, but it's because a 32 year old who has, you know, tens of millions of dollars, if not more than that, uh, sitting in various accounts, he has no reason to have cared this much already in this short amount of time he's been here ends up running what 45, 50 yards uh, at a sprint to win a tackle that easily could have ended with him just like slamming into Will Johnson, getting a red card. Um, and then not just winning the ball and like winning the ball and keeping it in bounds. Like he yeah. could have ended up kicking it out of bounds and that would have it been the a fantastic
0: end of tackle. Like yeah. just, and and he got up first. I, I was a little surprised. Will Johnson, who is a, a clever player in a slightly dirty way, which is something we'll touch on in another context, uh, another player here in a second. He's very I'm surprised. Dirty. He didn't. He's very dirty. I, I'm surprised <laughs> he didn't. I'm surprised he didn't grab Wayne Rooney uh, while they were down because they were tangled up for for half a second. And I'm surprised he didn't make sure that was longer. Um, I think he was probably more focused on the fact that he didn't just hit the ball first time with his left foot and instead tried to pull it over to his right to, to make the pass. And was surprised Wayne Rooney had the wheels to catch him, even though Will Johnson is 31 and not exactly a speedster either.
2: It it would have been completely in keeping with Johnson. I I think he was just wiped out. I think everyone uh, involved in that was wiped out. Um, You know, after the game ended when the VAR ended and Rivero signaled that it would be a goal, um, the response from the Orlando players, as much as DC had their celebration, the Orlando players basically collapsed, but then had to like pick themselves up and uh, that I will give them some credit for having presence of mind. Their kickoff looked like a rehearsed play. Like they had one person on like kicking the ball backwards to a center back and everyone else was at midfield running forward in like a evenly spaced line. Um, It didn't work.
0: College football kickoff.
2: Yeah. um, It didn't work or anything, but it did. It did strike me as the players were at least aware enough to know that they had to do that because when you've had something like that happen, when you put in the effort that, you know, as much as we don't like Orlando on this show, we have to give them some credit for the effort that their non red carded players put in um, to have to, like, get it together and execute on something. It, it, I mean, what do you, you know, you're shell shocked. Um, it's, it's hard to get your head back in the game. And they, they didn't succeed, but they at least tried to do something that made some sense in that moment, which is more than I think most of us could say for ourselves. Um, but, yeah, they were absolutely broken. Um, I'm surprised they had, you know, the reports from Steve Goff or that there was some sort of a uh, fight in their locker room. I'm surprised any of them had the, the energy or the, the bandwidth to fight or even like interact with one another. I would have expected people just sort of um, mutely having the thousand yard stare and just going about, like, I have to shower and change clothes and then get on the bus mm-hmm. and having no other um, thoughts going through their head. Um, they looked that devastated by the whole thing.
0: Uh, one thing Orlando fans tried to, to grab out of this in, in their salt. Um, and Orlando fans were salty there. They, they often are, but they, they were focused on a play by Lucho Acosta off the ball after that final corner kick was cleared before the tackle happened. Um, an Orlando player. And I didn't even bother checking to see who it was, but an Orlando player trying to sprint into space to be an outlet for Will Johnson runs past Acosta. And he just casually (laughs) sticks his leg out almost cartoonishly and trips him. The guy spills, rolls over, gets up and keeps running. Doesn't even appeal for a foul. Um, Just tries to get up there into space. Uh, It obviously slowed him down. It reminded me of, stories of Ben Olsen, who was well-known. Multiple different former players have talked about how when United in the days of old would turn the ball over and a counter would go the other way, the last runner would never get there because Ben Olsen would have cleaned them out in midfield. And this was the same kind of play. You you, you have the opportunity to prevent someone from joining the attack and, you do it, and it's not technically fully legal, but it's not—it's not going to injure the guy. You're not trying to injure the guy, and it's in—in in many ways a very smart play, if—if if not totally above board. Uh, and and LuchO got away with it. No call. Uh, it probably would have been but, advantage to Orlando. Yeah, or no, probably. There's no probably. Oh, yeah. Orlando fans would have. Fans been would have, an have advantage. Yeah, um, Orlando fans would have lost their mind if the play would have stopped there.
2: Well, the, uh, the other thing is so. R- Rivero to do his job correctly would have had to award advantage um, mm-hmm. because in that moment, it's Will Johnson running behind everyone with an empty net in front of him. It's yeah. the biggest advantage you could have. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if if there's an argument to be made at all, it would be that Rivero would come back and mm-hmm. after awarding the goal. Um, award Acosta a yellow card for the foul as well as his shirt taking off, yellow card for the celebration, and sent him off. But would that have made a difference to the goal or the result of the game? No. Um, so really, the people that should be pushing for some punishment there would be Portland fans, right? Um, but yeah, on the on the playing question, there's no way in the world that any referee doing their job to any kind of standard wouldn't just call advantage or or give the advantage and then come back after whatever happens to deal with it. And whatever happened was Rooney winning the tackle, putting the ball back in and Acosta heading it in. Um, That means that the goal would have stood like nothing changes. So yeah, him committing that foul doesn't, it never, it doesn't matter. Um, Yeah. And also the the rules, the rules or the laws of the game are, are written and how referees are told to referee games.
0: Right. I've also seen speculation that the the goal might have been taken off by VAR for that foul. And that's wrong Uh, from the way they're applying VAR right now. If a foul occurs in the attacking phase of play leading up to the goal, then you can take it away. You can you can take the goal off the board. This was obviously not in the attacking phase of play that led to the goal. D.C. United didn't have the ball. Orlando was on a break going the other way. That's very much not an attacking phase for D.C. United. And. So there's no way VAR properly applied could have taken the goal off for that foul. Uh, I just thought it was worth mentioning and thought it was kind of funny that uh, it it very closely resembled stories of Ben Olsen from the past. Uh, Let's, let's talk more about Lucho and Rooney, but outside of this play, they were the two best players on the field uh, by far in this game. Lucho had a hat trick. Rooney had two assists, uh, and they were the ones really calling all the shots when United was on the ball. Um, it was it was a display to 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 remember, not just for that final play, which is going to dominate memories. Uh, but Lucho had a great goal at the end of the first half, a really good goal, a brave goal, I would say, for the second one when Bendick completely cleaned him out and Probably should have seen Red himself for uh, putting his knee up. Lucho scored uh, his three. Rooney got two assists, uh, bringing his total up to three assists and one goal um, over his something like, what, 300, 400 minutes uh, yeah, of MLS play? Not, not a bad rate of return so far for for Rooney, uh, if you count those assists in. Uh, stepping back, other than those two, uh, it was not necessarily the best performance from DC United. They, they kind of got away with um, a lackluster showing, at least on the scoreboard. They, they did well to boss possession. Once they went up a man, they, they did pretty well to, to carve out some, some good chances, but they had their defensive lapses and they got punished for them. And they, they, for the second time this year against Orlando allowed a, a tying goal to be scored when they were up a man and they, they gave up a lead twice in this game. Um, and, and United's gonna have to be better because they have, like Jason said, they have better opponents coming in and they're, they're going to have to step it up. And hopefully this game provides the emotional platform to do that, but they, they have to be locked in defensively. They, they can't let players of the quality of Uri Rosell get on the ball in acres of space in midfield and allow Dom Dwyer to run in unchecked behind um that's a recipe for losing
1: yeah i think that uh when uh david o said the ball bounced off of his leg and into the goal i think but that's a goal that doesn't given up by other goalkeepers on, currently on dc dc united's roster that we'll get into in a little bit um it's unfortunate it's not totally preventable but it's just indicative of the problems that dc united has had at goalkeeper uh so far this year and the game could have been 2-1 going into the 90th minute instead of 2-2 going into the 90th minute
0: i mean if and the I defense think- is locked in it's two to nothing or three to nothing going into that that
1: final minute well yeah the defense is bad too and maybe <laughs> okay. we can go ahead jason
2: uh I, I feel like just focusing on the goals though it doesn't quite get at what was wrong with the performance because if you do if you handle the business at the end of the field, the fact that the defense isn't very good doesn't really ever come up. Um, and that's what concerns me more than anything. I mean, the Roselle Cross hit Burn Bomb's heel and then Osted's heel and went in. It was it was a it wasn't good for Osted, but it was also
0: fairly strange. Um. Yeah, the second but, goal bothered me a lot more than the first for Orlando. Um,
2: and maybe, you know, on some cosmic level, maybe there's a karma being repaid because DC got a 90th minute goal against Colorado in a very similar fashion uh, as the first Orlando goal. So maybe we we owed some kind of debt for that. But um, I guess the Colorado game is kind of it wasn't the same problem, but it is the same thing where. They did get the win that they had to get, but you know, you do have to feel like you got away with one. Um, because it, Orlando is really bad, there's no reason for this to have been so difficult. Um, and outside of Rooney and Acosta, I think a lot of players on the team let themselves down, they were flat for the entire first half. Um, Acosta's goal, the the first goal was him, it was almost him being like, okay, everyone on this field is playing badly, I'm going to do something about it, I can't stand this anymore. Um, because, you know, Rooney gets an assist there, but it's just a, a sideways pass, and, uh, and Acosta is doing all the rest of it himself. Um, and if we're speaking of bad goalkeeping, um, Joe Bendik showed us why he had been benched recently, because he was as bad as Earl Edwards Jr. I, I said in our um, pregame post that I didn't think he was very good. Bendik replaced him or got the job back and looked just as bad. Um, so that was, that was a pleasant, uh, bonus for United, but, um, just in general, I, I I feel like there were a lot of guys that weren't quite tuned in. Um, it wasn't just that Orlando played an unexpected formation. It wasn't just that, um, you know, the red card kind of dictated them bunkering in even more than they already were doing. Um, I just, I, I found myself kind of, once you take Acosta and Rooney out of the equation, I find myself thinking that every other player on the field was, you know, C minus or D plus level. Um, it was just a lot of not that good in a game that they had to have, which is worrisome.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about what Orlando did there, Jason. You alluded to a, a, a formation, and last week I I, I spitballed a, a a three man five man backline for United that had a lone striker. I wonder if James O'Connor was listening and said, "Ooh, that's a good idea. Let's run that out for Orlando." Because he ran a five four one diamond out, which is not something you see much of in in MLS. It it's
2: weird because I think it was, I I'm calling it a three, 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 one, like the one that Jesse Marsh used to have the Red Bulls play. It's just that while the Red Bulls were very much about front foot, um, high press and aggression, Orlando was using it to sit deep and, and just clog the middle up in the best way that they could. Um, and so it, it was a little bit of trickery because they haven't played that formation before. Um, Their last few games, they've played 4-3-3. Their lineup card said 4-2-3-1 and actually made more or less some sense. um, As it was listed, it looked a little conservative, but it was, you know. um, (laughs) But it was also a lie. (laughs) Right. Yeah, right. Like Higuita was listed as their attacking midfielder. It was like, wow, that's pretty conservative, but all right, whatever. Um, And then they come out and I, I, within like 10 seconds, I was like, wait, what is this supposed to be? Um, What are they doing here? And it was playing with three center backs. They had Scott Sutter filling in as the, the right-sided center back. And um, Chris Mueller was playing as a, as a wing back, which is a, is a first for him. Um, and then, you know, they're trying to clog up the middle. They've got three guys in the middle, plus four midfielders ahead of them jamming up that space. They were perfectly willing to drop and, and leave Dom Dwyer completely by himself Um And when they would go forward, it was all about just connect enough passes on the left or in the middle long enough for DC United to start to lean that way and then immediately fire it out to Mueller one-on-one with Joseph Mora, who I think they were targeting. Um, Part of of it was that the lineup they had, Mueller was clearly the only creative presence in their entire 11. Like uh, Tony Rocha um, is not a creative player on the other side um muhammad el Munir is a straight line speedster he's not really anything uh in terms of creating he's just fast um dom dwyer doesn't really create his own chances it was basically like all right chris Mueller, you're the one guy on our team who has a little bit more um in terms of uh, vision so we're just gonna keep feeding the ball to you you're also lined up against their their weakest fullback so that's a bonus um and it it to their credit, even though it was pretty much a one-trick thing, it kind of worked. I mean, this was a bad, weaker... They were the weaker team in terms of talent. They were on the road. They're in a horrible run of form. Their morale is low enough that they're having fights in the locker room after the game. And yet, they almost pulled this off. Um, and I think it was because United isn't very good at solving this You know, willingness to park the bus. Um, and... You know they they tried. It wasn't that they were blind to it. They tried to adapt what they were doing. They tried to be more uh, willing to possess the ball for longer periods. They were willing to drop off a little bit and not just try and smash the door in like like normal. Because normally it's just let's go let's go attack the goal as fast as we can. Um, they tried not to just do that because what happens when a team drops in like that and crowds you out with so many players is that if you're just throwing numbers at it you're going to keep running into these crowds and not getting anywhere. And eventually something is going to get blocked or cleared in, in the perfect manner. And all of a sudden, you know, like the Dom Dwyer goal, it ends up being as simple as that. I mean, that play was so, is so uncomplicated for Orlando. And it was because there was no one back to defend. Um, everyone was out of shape. Everyone was thinking of attacking and they weren't thinking of, they, they kind of played into Orlando's hands. Um, but, you know, United was trying not to play in Orlando's hands. They just weren't able to do a very good job of it because I, I don't think that's something they've spent a lot of time on because they're trying to shift to playing this different way um, after spending a whole year last year being very conservative. Um, and they haven't really had all that many weeks with Rooney in place because with Darren Maddox, you can't really play a patient uh, build-up style. That's not going to work. Um, so they kind of got caught by an opponent who saw, who figured out that DC is not constructed to play that way. um, And they haven't had a lot of time working on playing that way. Um, And, you know, there is some luck on Orlando's side in that maybe a player that should have been better at this. I'm thinking of Zoltan Stieber didn't have a good night. Mm -hmm. Um, He was maybe the most impatient player on DC's team, uh, which I wouldn't have expected normally, but he was guilty of a lot of, choosing to shoot or choosing to play the killer ball when it wasn't there. Um, yeah, they, they were trying to draw Orlando out. The whole thing is you want Orlando to stop being the parked bus and you want them to come chase the ball because Orlando's got Will Johnson and Christian Higuita. They're guys that are lacking in discipline. Um, and you just wait for them to make the – you're waiting for them to make the mistake just like they're waiting for you to make the mistake – And if you can con them into coming a little too far and then then all of a sudden that space opens up between the lines, then you can really get at them. But, uh, you know, there were moments that United did a good job of it. And those moments were when Rooney and Acosta were playing one twos. Um, They just needed a little more help than they really got in this game.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if if this patience is going to be something that um, becomes more necessary and more a part of of United's game going forward. We we've talked about the need for them to be a front foot pressing team because they're better when they're doing that. And in this game, they looked a lot better when they were patient and on the ball. Um, Even, even when you have some guys who, who aren't totally cut out for that right now, or at least don't have a ton of recent practice in that style. So I, I'm interested to see if this transformation continues. Along that line, I think it it might need to. And I want to revisit this after the Portland game on Wednesday, because I think this could be a theme. But uh, because we're running out of time before we need to to bring in our guest, I want to close the book on on this game for now and talk about D.C. United's business in the secondary transfer window, which closed last week. Uh, It obviously opened. Uh, in July with the the signing of Wayne Rooney or at least his officially joining the team he signed before the window even opened United got that business done and then was very quiet throughout the rest of the window until the last two days of it when they they made two moves one of them uh, to to shore up the left back position and one of them to to bring home their their original homegrown player <laughs> Bill Hamid back on DC United uh on an 18 month loan from FC Michelin in Denmark, uh, where he found playing time all but non-existent. They, they're they coming off a, a championship season and uh, he was unable to dislodge their championship winning goalkeeper. Uh, I guess when he signed, he, he said that he was told there was a path to playing time. I think they may have expected an offer to come in for their goalkeeper. That's my speculation. And it, didn't come. And so they kept their goalkeeper and Bill was kind of hung out to dry. And now he's gone in search of playing time. Dave Casper kept in touch with him Monthly text messages back and forth, I think was the report. And when Bill said that he was looking for a better playing situation, Dave said, come home. And now he is. And I'm very happy about it.
1: Yeah, it's a really great situation that the DC United has him back. And I mean, it wasn't at the top of anybody's list of options for if DC United was going to make a move, but uh, they can definitely do better at uh, goalkeeper. So Bill Hamid is a great signing. Bill Hamid is a totem of the team, and it'll be great to see him back and great to see him start in the next week or so, probably.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Ben makes an important point that this wasn't the top of the list, but sometimes if there's just a talented player around, you just got to go get that talented player and if it happens to be someone that means as much to, uh, to the team as Bill Hamid, that's even better. Um and uh, you know, it's not like goal, it's not like he wasn't goalkeeping wasn't on the list, it just wasn't at the top of the list. Um I think it's Pretty fair to say that they needed to improve there um, one way or another, whether it was now or in the winter. And maybe if, you know, maybe if this was a situation where if they told Hamid, look, we'll come back in the winter, but we can't help you right now, um, then he finds something else and then this doesn't come through. And maybe you're looking at starting next spring with the exact same goalkeeper still in place um, and not improving the situation at all. So, you know, sometimes you've got to strike while the iron's hot, even if it's not necessarily um, top of your list, you still take care of it uh, when you can. And, you know, it's the the only complaint I think you could really have is that goalkeeper is a pretty expensive position for DC uh, against the cap right now. Um, But it sounds like they're
0: going to try to address that. Um, Yes. Steve Goff tweeted, we're recording this on Monday night and Steve Goff tweeted this evening that United are likely to waive, Steve Clark, who joined the team late last year uh, and started the final five games and has mostly been a backup for David Ostead this year. Uh, He's an American player. If they waive him and another team claims him off of waivers, DC United doesn't have to carry his cap hit anymore. If nobody claims him, then he stays on on the roster for, or not on the roster, but on the budget for the rest of the season. Uh, But that could give them a little flexibility either to sign a free agent or, or going into next year. I'm not actually sure how much flexibility they do or don't have right now. Um, And from what our, our, our own Steve Streff uh, reported Dave Casper's not really looking that hard for more additions this season.
2: Yeah. And and I think a lot of that, my, my pet theory is that the amount of time spent on making sure the Rooney deal actually went through. Um, It probably took up most of Dave Casper's time that normally would have been keeping multiple uh, irons in the fire and and all that stuff. Um, Because that's such a colossal, it's a much more complicated deal than we're used to seeing. Even a deal like getting Lucho from a loan to a permanent transfer from Boca juniors with alleged interested parties. And in, I think it was the Brazilian league was, was the other team that was interested at the time. Um, that was a complicated deal by MLS standards and it pales in comparison to landing Rooney. Um, and so you end up with, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and at some point um, you're going to run out of time. And I think maybe getting that one over the line uh, meant sacrificing on some other things and not having enough time to, um, because, you know, United entered the window with a lot to do. It wasn't a, well, if we just ad- address one, one or two things, everything will be great. It was like, okay, we need to remake almost the entire back four. Um, we could use another winger. That's, uh, probably that's not an international. Um, they had to figure out what to do about, uh, the front line, which is overcrowded. So they moved Patrick Mullins, um, but yeah, the, you know there was so much to do that I think at a certain point they just ran out of time to get it all done. And so it's a little unsatisfying. Um, it's a little frustrating to see the fullback situation not really addressed. I mean, Vitas is going to be better than Mora, um, and maybe the change of scenery will see. I mean, he's in his prime. It's not like he's on the downhill. He's 27. He should be having his very best years of his career in the next year or so. Um, the fact that they're not paying his whole salary is, is good. Um, it is a little odd that DC and Portland keep making moves over and over again, back and forth. Um, as a reminder, when the season ends, Portland has to send an international spot back to DC. DC has to send an international spot back to Portland, and I think, uh, I think Portland holds two more of DC's international spots as well. Um, <laughs> like I can't remember the the math of it, but it, it the whole thing between. Uh, Portland and the other teams we've traded international spots with, it ends up being a wash as far as how many spots DC will have, but it's still three different spots going back and forth across the country between DC and Portland um, on top of Vitas uh, on top of a few other um, deals that have happened along the way. So that's a little odd, but yeah, you know, I wish they had done a lot more, but um, as far as getting Rooney and getting Hamid, those are pretty big deals. So the, the big stuff they handled, they just didn't handle everything else. And I think they just couldn't do both. They had to pick one or the other.
1: Well, I think that, uh, yes, definitely. Dave Casper did all he can do. I think that's just an indictment of the lack of investment in the scouting front office that the team has had for the past long while. It shouldn't just be Dave Casper doing all of these deals. They should have other people, uh, uh, teeing these deals up, and then Dave Casper's like, this looks good, I'll sign off on this, I trust you, and and this uh, center back who costs $200,000 looks good. It shouldn't all be on Dave Casper to do the entire lift for every single position.
2: That'd be nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's on the list of next steps now that the the stadium is open and they've acquired Wayne Rooney. I think a lot of us wanted to see an, uh, a signing influenced by Wayne Rooney because we've, we've drawn parallels to other signings in, in various sports where it, it's kind of a, a legitimacy signing. It's a, a statement of intent. You're, you're signing a guy so that you can say we signed him, come play with him. Look, we're legit. We're serious about this. And uh, I, I think, his play at the end of this game certainly showed his commitment and and it, it went viral around the world. Maybe that helps sign more people uh, come this winter. Who knows? But uh, I know I wanted to see more, but at the same time, you can't say United didn't get better in this transfer window. So it's a weird kind of... Uh, it, it was successful in that the team got better, but it wasn't as much as I think most fans were hoping for. So it's kind of, it's, it's two different conflicting, uh, reactions to it. Um, and to end the segment. Oh my gosh, you guys that play. (laughs) Yep. I, yeah, I just thinking about it. I lose, lose the capacity for intelligent speech. Um, and so while I regain that capacity, Uh, We'll take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about the Portland Timbers with our buddy Will Conwell. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me.
1: Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile?
0: podcast dc united don't get to rest on their laurels and bask in the glory that was sunday night for long in just a few days on wednesday they will welcome the portland timbers to audi field for the the timbers first visit to the new building uh the second of three home games for united this week will conwell from Stumptown footing is here to uh give us the lowdown on all things timbers will welcome to the show
3: yeah, thanks for having me.
0: What are you drinking tonight?
3: Uh, well, I've got a Ninkasi Dawn of the Red, uh, Red IPO here.
0: All right. Uh, your Your Timbers are, it, it, I guess until this weekend, they, they were looking pretty good. Third in the West on 37 points, five behind uh, conference leaders, FC Dallas, but with a couple games in hand on them. But then they went and lost at home to the Whitecaps snapping a 15-game unbeaten streak. Uh, what's the, the mindset of the fan base out there right now?
3: Uh, you know, I think people are still pretty positive. But, you know, I mean, 15, 15 games, that's a pretty good streak. Uh, take that any day, uh, even if it does have to end with a unfortunate loss to uh, a rival. Um, but I think part of it's also just kind of the nature of the loss. To Vancouver. Um, it was, it was hard to look at the way that game played out, uh, and not think of any number of ways it could have gone differently. I mean, uh, a missed penalty that kind of led into the second Vancouver goal, a, uh, a, a pretty fluky opener from the white caps that saw some uncharacteristically bad decision-making from the Timbers. Uh, you know, it, the Timbers just shelling Vancouver to, uh, to close out the game, but ultimately uh not finding the uh the second goal that they needed, so you know there was uh <laughs> there was a lot that happened in that game, and while it was ultimately a, a disappointment to see the streak snapped there um, It's also one of those games that just kind of leaves you uh shaking your head and and wondering uh what could have been.
0: I know that feeling very well. <laughs> uh, new coach this year for the Timbers. 15-game uh, unbeaten streak is not a, a bad way to come into MLS. Uh, Giovanni Savarese came over from the uh, Cosmos for you guys this year. Uh, I guess he just likes teams that wear green. Uh, tell us about him. What has he done to, to change? What was Caleb Porter's side for a long time?
3: Uh well, you know, Gio's a a pretty pragmatic guy. Uh you know, when he first arrived in Portland, he was really trying to implement a uh a one brand of soccer that wasn't really going to fit in with what the Timbers were used to doing and what their, uh what they had the personnel to do. Uh and you know, he recognized that pretty quickly and switched into this kind of defense first, uh, you know, shut things down uh and then build from their mindset that uh, has seen the Timbers through uh, most of the season. Um, And, you know, having, having someone who is, you know, when when you've got a new coach coming in, having someone who's able to, uh, you know, recognize um, what it is that's going on with the team and, and make adjustments rather than just kind of being dogmatic in what style they want to play. Uh, I think it's always gonna be really important in a league like MLS where, you know, the ability to completely remake a team is certainly limited in a in a limited window.
1: So Will, uh Fernando Addy is out and uh Samuel Armenteros is in. Uh how surprised are you and our Timbers fans by the emergence of the uh the big suite?
3: Um I think that looking at Armenteros' playing history it's not really a, a surprise that he is uh that he's been so effective um you know he's a guy who's always scored goals uh with the exception of his, uh, his time with his last club that was really more uh of a strange sort of contract situation and uh coaching issue than it was anything with his uh, his ability on the pitch so You know, I think that uh, the Timbers are getting more or less what was expected out of Armateros. And the fact fact that he, you know, is good enough that people are, you know, largely comfortable being without Fernando Adi, a guy who, uh, you know, has been a, if not for Diego Valeria, a record-setting goal scorer for the Timbers, uh, I think that really speaks... uh, to the level that he's attained.
1: And then my other question is, um, based on the... uh, uh, Portland recently traded uh, Vitas to DC United because uh, Zarek Valentin beat him out. Uh, Sarvese uh, preferred Valentin. Uh, Caleb Porter uh, preferred Vitas. Uh, What do you think about the uh, pullback decisions that uh, Sarvese has made?
3: Well, uh, I think that there are a few things that feed into it. I mean, going back to Valentin uh, originally sort of taking the spot, um, you know, he he was given that opportunity largely because Vitas, uh, you know, had some injury issues to deal with uh, at times last season and then uh, early this season. Um, and that, coincided with the Timbers, you know, changing up uh, their style of play and going to, uh, again, this, this more defensive style. Uh, and Valentin really has fit in well with that. You know, he's a, he's a really strong defender. He's not, uh, he's not maybe as natural as Vitas is getting forward. Um, but you know, he's a guy who is rarely going to make a bad decision. You know, he, uh, can play guys very strongly one-on-one. Sometimes he'll get burned for pace, but, uh, you know, that's uh, his his decision-making can generally make up for that. Um, So, you know, when, uh, when he got a chance, he took it, Uh, you know, he has been competent. uh, And, you know, when you're really trying to lock things down and make sure that other teams are being denied opportunities, that's, sometimes an underrated ability um, looking forward a little bit though uh, to the decision to trade VITAS. Uh, I mean, the Timbers, it's not going to factor into this week's game, but uh, you know, the Timbers brought back Jorge Viafania, who was a huge part of the Timbers uh, MLS cup winning run. Um, you know, he's a U.S. men's national teamer. Uh, he's, He's a very good defender, both uh, – or he's a very good fullback, both on defense and going forward. Uh, and and he was always going to uh, be at the top of the depth chart, I think, uh, coming back to the Timbers. So, you know, it was either going to be Vitas or Valentin uh, going somewhere. And I think that uh, a a solid left back like Vitas is always going to be in demand um, for teams looking for a starter, but when you're looking to move someone like Valentin, which, you know, I'm not saying the Timbers were, uh, you know, he's a guy who has shown he can be a left back, but really his, uh, his value is more in his flexibility and his adaptability. Uh, and I think that that's something that, you know, you're you're not going to have teams looking for quite so much in the uh, the middle of the year.
2: Uh, well, when I look at, uh, teams, DC is going to play, I try and look for some of the similarities. And, um, in our first segment, I noted that DC and Portland tend to do a lot of business together. Um, and it kind of got me thinking in between, uh, before we brought you on that, um, DC has in the last couple of years gone to Costa Rica quite a few times. They brought in Jose Ortiz that didn't work. Um, they're starting, Joseph Mora, at least for the time being, at left back until Vitas gets up to speed. Most likely we expect him to be the starter. Um Ulysses Seguro was an off season signing. Uh Portland, uh Portland has gone the same route. Um they're starting um Guzman, they're starting uh Cascante. Um how are those two working out for the Timbers?
3: Uh well, so Cascante uh, has stepped in at center back in place of Liam Ridgewell uh, during Ridgewell's uh, absence from the team this year uh, for a variety of reasons, coaches decisions and injuries and, you know, some combination thereof. Um, And, and he's done really well. He's provided a pretty strong physical presence. Uh, You know, he can cover a ton of grounds. You know, he's very good in the air. Um, And, you know, he's, Again, he's made good decisions, which I feel like is something I come back to with the the Timbers prizing uh, quite a bit. Um, so he's a, yeah, he's, he's been a strong piece for the Timbers. Uh, Guzman has had sort of a weird year um, for Portland. I think a lot of people thought that he might be uh, someone who was on the trading block during this uh, summer window. So the, a little bit of a surprise for him to still be with the club uh, and, to, uh, and to be starting to get minutes again after missing most of the year so far, really. Uh, you know, He played uh, early in the year, picked up an injury, uh, and was not a part of the Timbers sort of turning things around from their early struggles. Uh, and that was only kind of exacerbated by the fact that he went to the World Cup Um, so right as he was sort of getting back to being healthy was right when, uh, the Costa Rican players were reporting for that. Uh, so it's actually been a while since Timbers fans have seen Guzman, uh, you know, healthy and ready to contribute. Um, and it's kind of hard to know what to make of him right now. Uh, he's always been a player whose strengths I think have been in, uh, kind of cleaning up after others. Uh, he doesn't, he makes the occasional open field tackle, but that's not really his strong suit. You know, the Timbers have a guy like Diego Chara to so do things like that. Um, this more of a guy who's going to be able to, uh, sort of step into the open spaces and, uh, make interceptions, you know, pick up, uh, loose balls, um, be in the right place at generally the right time. Um, and then, you know, distribute with the uh, longer, you know, accurate passes. Um, it's it's a different look than the Timbers have had with guys like Lawrence Olam, uh, Christian Paredes, uh, slotting into the, the midfield slot or the, you know, midfield positions that Guzman has, uh, has traditionally played. You know, those guys uh, are more um, going to combine and, short, quick passes with, uh, Chara and then the, you know, the attacking, uh, players like Valerian Blanco further up the field. Um, so having Guzman back out there for the last two games has been, I don't know, it's been sort of an adjustment. Um, and, you know, having beaten Philly pretty comprehensively on the scoreline, if not necessarily on the eye test, uh, but then, you know, having lost to Vancouver, it's it remains kind of difficult to really measure how Guzman is fitting in with the team and, and what he's going to be able to do going forward. Um, and then I just uh, feel like it would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, that uh, uh, Roy Miller, uh, longtime <coughs> MLS uh, Costa Rican, uh, is still on the roster. And uh, after tearing his uh, Achilles tendon last year has been getting games with T2. So shout out to Roy Miller. Uh,
2: All DC United fans are very fond of Roy Miller for his work with the New York (laughs) Red Bulls. Um, I appreciate that. Um, But I, I, you know, I'm struck by the fact that it it seems like when Dave Casper and Gavin Wilkinson are looking at the transfer market, it's like they're sitting in the same room um, because I'm looking at, thinking back to the game on the weekend, the, the loss to Vancouver and, um, Portland really started to improve when they brought Andy Polo in at halftime and DC United in 2016 was pretty strongly linked to, with our move for Polo. Uh, it didn't work out. And now he's with Portland and he's become, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe not in every game starter for 90 minutes, but he's certainly an important player there. Uh, what, what is his role with the team?
3: Uh, Polo is a guy, uh, who, um, has had a, an interesting and an evolving role with the Timbers this year. Uh, you know, he was coming into the year, he was kind of viewed by, uh, the fans and those outside the team as a, uh, you know, a, a winger, a, a primarily attacking player, a, a guy who's going to use his speed to, uh, to go at you and, uh, and make things happen uh and you know that's something that the timbers haven't really had a ton of this season um but uh geo actually kind of threw everyone a curveball by uh playing polo in more of a uh central midfield box to box role giving him a lot of uh, sort of shuttling duties um uh, you know asking him to uh combine and uh and, and play a big role defensively as well, um, so it's it's been interesting seeing him in that spot. And it uh, the the tendencies that people were looking at uh, of a of a winger of a you know player who can take people on in the dribble and who has frankly ridiculous speed, uh, you know they've they've shown up from time to time. But I think that uh, the Timbers were really asking him to do something else for a large part of the season. Um, What we saw against Vancouver, though, was the Timbers playing him in that wing role for the first time in quite a while. Uh, And, you know, with Vancouver sitting back, with them packing men into the box, uh, they uh, really gave up a lot of space out on the wing, and it gave uh, Polo chances to really, you know, get the ball at speed and go at the fullback. Uh, out on that wing and cut inside and take a couple of pretty nice shots. Um, so, you know, kind of uh, like Guzman, he's a guy that we haven't seen a ton of in that uh, responsibility this year. Um, but uh, what we saw against Vancouver, I thought was really encouraging. Uh, and with Guzman taking a larger role uh, in the midfield in the last couple of games, Um, it's possible that Polo is really set to get a lot more of a run out on that wing. Uh,
2: My last question is, is someone who has been there for a while, um, but hasn't, you know, up until very recently, wasn't really playing a lot. Um, Daron Espria didn't really have much of a role for, for a lot of the season. He was getting, you know, little cameo appearances here and there. Um, But once, Savarese made that decision that Adi was going to be phased out and eventually um, uh, traded. I guess I was about to say transferred, but it's a you know a, a trade to an MLS team that doesn't yet exist in MLS um, because we we follow a very strange league. Um, but Espria, <laughs> you know, since then has become kind of a, a big deal for Portland. Uh, even with Armenteros being as good as he is, um, it ended up being. Espria that, that was left in for the full 90 against Portland or, or against um, Vancouver. Um, what it, you know, in the past, he was a winger. Now he, it looks like he's being seen as a center forward. Um, what's going, is it his game evolving or, or is it just a different set of eyes seeing different uses for him?
3: Well, uh, the Timbers have always kind of insisted that Espria is a forward. Um, during the Caleb Porter era, uh, you know that's what he uh was referred to as, even though he didn't ever ever really get a chance to play in that role um uh, you know he was always he was always a winger um in his responsibilities and in his style of play um but uh with uh with Geo coming to town uh, yeah I think it is definitely just a new pair of eyes saying no, actually, we think he is." Forward, I know we've been saying it this whole time, but you might actually be that thing um, now. Timbers fans might not agree with that. Uh, Espria, uh, you know, he he's a very active player. He's he's going to run things down. He's going to uh, you know he's he's going to work hard for you. Uh, he's going to kick the ball very hard. Uh, he's going to give you a couple step overs. Um, but his goal scoring record is not impressive. Uh, and his, uh, his decision making on the ball has been I don't know, not the fastest, I guess. Uh, he, he's a guy who, um, uh, you don't ever really look at him and, and think like this guy's going to make his own chances. This guy's going to, uh, you know, create something. Um, He's kind of a utilitarian player uh, in terms of someone that you would put up top, uh, and it's kind of frustrating for Timbers fans uh, because there, you know, some really interesting young guys uh, on the on the roster um, who are playing all their minutes with T2 right now, in uh, Jeremy Abobisi and Foster Langsdorf, uh, both players who've shown uh, a real aptitude for for scoring goals in USL and. Uh, you know, have uh, have a, a good deal of pedigree uh in terms of that goal scoring. So um you know, Timbers fans are always clamoring uh for those guys to uh to get a run out and having Espria be the uh the number three behind uh Nadi and now the number two behind Armenteros uh is uh is something that uh can be you know difficult to reconcile for those of us who are not seeing uh, training every day and, and who don't, aren't privy to, uh, to the full tactical breakdown that uh, geos bring into things. Um, the other thing I'll say about him is, uh, you know, just looking at the Vancouver game, uh, Armin Teros came out at the half uh, with a knee injury. Um, and Although after the game, Gio uh, said that uh, he thought Armenteros would be available this week, uh, you know, we we haven't gotten any follow-up on that yet, uh, and so there's a real possibility that it's going to be Espria as the lone starting forward um, for the Timbers, supported by guys like, you know, Blanco and Valeri, which, you know, Timbers fans are always going to be pretty confident in that pairing, but uh, having a Spria up top is uh, not who you would look at to, uh, to be your primary goal scorer. Generally.
0: I'm going to change the subject uh, a little bit briefly. DC United just opened brand new Audi field out in Portland. Providence park is a little bit of an older ground, very old former baseball stadium. That's been renovated into uh, a, a wonderful soccer venue and you guys are expanding out there. Uh, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts on, on the expansion are and, and how that project is, is going.
3: Oh, I think the expansion is going to be very cool. Uh, it's, it looks gorgeous going, from the renderings. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been a fan of those just sort of vertical style. uh uh you know, sets of seats and I think that this is gonna have a pretty unique look to it. It's gonna be something that uh is I mean not not just unique in MLS, but pretty unique in terms of look in, in world soccer. I think it's the necessity of the of the area that it's being put in is going to uh make something that is gonna look pretty wild. <laughs> Uh, and just knowing the the way that uh, the roof is formed and the way that uh, it's going to focus, you know, all of the the sound back down onto the pitch, just like the uh, the the roofing in the field does now, is going to be it's going to be a pretty loud and I think <laughs> awesome setup. I'm I'm pretty excited for it to be finished.
0: What's the timeline on it?
3: Uh, so the timbers will. Start off next year with another uh, series of road games. And then uh, when they play at home, it shall be ready.
0: One last question before we get you out of here. If you were standing uh, in, in the home team's technical area at Audi field this Wednesday, what would your game plan be for the Portland Timbers? How would you game plan against the Timbers?
3: Well, I think that, uh, the, uh, with the timbers current setup, I think the teams that have had the most success are the ones that have sort of forced the timbers to come out of their defensive, uh, shell and, uh, you know, have, have looked to, uh, take advantage of the, uh, the fullbacks getting forward, uh, and have managed to, uh, you know, hit the Timbers, uh, on the break, you know, the Timbers are looking to hit you on the break. Uh, and when you're able to draw them out and get them off balance, uh, that's when they're at their most vulnerable. Um, uh, we saw that with Vancouver, uh, with that first goal may have been, um, uh, you know, it was, a it was a, a great look up field from Kendall Lawson on the long free kick. And it was a, a great headed ball from Kai Kamara. It was a really opportunist sort of moment. Um, and you know, it's exactly the sort of thing, that quick look down the pitch, uh, that the Timbers have been hit by several times this year. Uh, I think if you look back to the Montreal game a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, you know, where they were sort of able to out counter the Timbers, um, that uh, that was a, a really good blueprint for teams that are gonna, you know, cause Geo and company some frustration. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's it. Uh, for for anyone who wants to really cause issues for for the Timbers.
0: All right, Will. Thanks for coming on the show. Tell our listeners where they can find you on the old internet.
3: Uh, well, you can find stuff that I write at. Uh, com, and you can find me on Twitter at William Conwell.
0: All right. Thanks again to Will. Uh, thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're at patreon.com slash filibuster. If you want to support us financially and get access to bonus episodes, like my unhinged ramblings immediately after uh, dc united's win against orlando city this weekend uh, also find us on twitter at filibuster dcu for the podcast at black and red U for the website plus all our personal accounts which are pretty easy to look up if you are so inclined send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com we're on itunes stitcher soundcloud wherever you get your podcasts rating and reviews uh, i understand are very helpful i mostly like it when you tell a friend about the show so please do that Wednesday night before the game when you're talking about uh, the the wonderful preview heard from Will Conwell uh, say that you heard it on filibuster and tell a friend about the show that's really uh, that would be pretty awesome in my book for Jason and Ben and thanking Will one more time I'm Adam and we'll talk at you again real soon say goodbye Jason
2: uh, I'm still in recovery from Sunday I can't say goodbye I'm
0: not in recovery so you're ahead of me